0: Well,
1: well, 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 you're still there, all you movers and shakers and indie art makers. This is still Jay Michaels, and I am still in the Passion Pit. And still, join me as we continue. Merry weekend. Now, as I said, Friday evening, the opulent Triad Theater features Broadway songstress Mary Setrakian, who shares her travels around the world, singing and sharing her glorious gift of song, and even a few joyous tales from her Armenian roots. Now, Saturday night, we hear from another biographical story set to music, but here, Mary Elizabeth Makari tells us how she found her spirituality and herself. Since this happened in the 1990s, she tells us her engrossing tale amid cleverly orchestrated tunes from the 1990s, from Lorena McKennett to Sting and Elton John. Now, this broadcast is part two, Reverend Mary Elizabeth McCurry. Now, what started out as a surprise interview about her brilliant new show became a deep discussion about the world of theater, the battles women go through in the arts, And when is it time to move on? Deep Dish, folks, Deep Dish, right after this. You'd like to attend more live performances, but who knows which shows are worth the time, money, and hassle. At OPlaud, you'll find unbiased, two or three minute video reviews that make the decision
0: easy. Use offer code J, that's J-A-Y, by December 31st, 2019. For six months free, unlimited access. A $59 value. Sign up now at OPLAUD.com. That's D.com. Help you?
1: This is Jay Michaels. I know who you are. <laughs> if I'm on the line, you're on the air. You are in the passion pit. Uh oh. All right. That's right. You have an amazing show coming up. You have a really. Amazing show coming up! You have Lady Uh, in Black Two.
2: Everybody, come
1: on! No, no, no! Well, uh, because I think they're amazing, but yours, I've been sitting in the room and watching it. Lady in Black Two, uh, you you basically you basically talk about a coming of age story that that I have never heard before on stage. Uh, Tell tell our listeners what you're doing. Well,
2: it's not really a coming of age story. It's just sort of an opening of the mind and spirit story. It's a Diary read. I read my diaries uh, when I do my shows. I've been doing two sides of comedy and tragedy. So the comedy stuff is um, Grace Bloomers, which is kind of faulty filthy, bluesy stuff, and stuff about marijuana and these kinds of things. And then the tragedy is not really tragedy. It's just darker, more introspective stuff. And to get that done, I open up my diaries, and I look into them and see what's in there that's good to... Uh, make a show around and I was looking through my diaries from the 1990s and music from the 1990s, um, and I came up with the idea of doing a show about how I became a witch, and how that happened to me in the 1990s, and the people I met, and the experiences I had, and so I put them into a, a little mash of uh, thought with some music that really spoke about that experience. Uh,
1: it, it's quite amazing, I have never heard, uh, I, I'm not kidding when I say I've never heard of of a show where someone talked about uh, their their entrance into into paganism, into witchcraft, into things like that, um, and and the score is from that era. You are basically using the music that we remember from the '90s. Those right. of us that because were. That's when that it happened.
2: Then. That's what it happened. So it starts mid 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 uh, pretty much early to mid uh, d- decade when things started to heat up for my in my life and, and drive me in that direction until 1999. So the music of that time, I chose stuff that was introduced to me through paganism and through the people I was working with and studying with, um, some people like Lorena McKennett, which is not a well-known name in the outer world, she was never a top 40 performer, and, to, and I worked with things like, um, working with things like, uh, I saw the sign, you know, these silly dance numbers, not that it's silly, but dance numbers from the 90s, and... Top 40, Like You Learned by Alanis Morissette, and weaving those into the story, because those were in everybody's ears, including myself, at that time. So, uh,
1: What obstacles have you you found for yourself, even though this is you haven't done the show yet? what In its creation, what worries, what obstacles do you have? Because um, uh, when you say to someone, oh, I, I, how I became a witch, we have, and I just got off the phone with Kat Parker, and she's doing uh, Dr. Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure she had almost the same... Uh, uh, thing. How do you turn to someone who's, who goes, oh, a witch? Are you on a broom?
2: What happens? like Frankenstein much more than they like witches. I think that <laughs> people will accept Frankenstein and vampires and and zombies and all kinds of slasher films and Freddy Krueger before they will accept the word witch because um, people believe that in the Bible it says, in the King James, by the way, version of the Bible, um, in the middle of the witch-burning times, this Bible was produced and, and given out and sent around, that one shall not suffer a witch to live. And this comes from an ancient idea that witches were powerful women and or men an who were healers and were going to take away the power of the patriarchy or the power of the church or the power of the Jewish uh, religion or the Muslim religion. So the big three... Big religions didn't like any kind of um, idea of what a witch might represent—the power of witch- witches. And now I find that um, that somewhat has changed. But the people who are younger, uh, millennials, and down to Generation Z are very, very open-minded about this kind of thing. They understand it's a uh, uh, Wicca itself is a re- recognized religion by the government and the military have rights to have Wiccan a ceremony both if they are unfortunately or murdered, killed and or if they're sick they can call in a Wiccan chaplain or their chaplains are supposed to understand the rights of Wicca. Oh, so that's yeah, it's a recognized religion by the United States government and army and maybe and all of that. And but and so yeah, and also younger people know that. They know that fact and they're also taught not to be, you know, thinking it's evil or harmful. But people that are older I find um find it to be quite frightening. Quite uh quite frightening. They think that uh, Which is on brooms, and it's the Wizard of Oz, and or it's like Satan, and you're hanging out with the dark forces of the world, and it's actually not that at all. And there's a lot of ignorance to that I've encountered, will encounter, will continue encounter, to encounter about it. Anybody over, say, 35 has got these ideas that are quite actually frightening. You know, and it's not just here in America, this is way worse in third world countries where people believe that witches are harming them like they did in the 1500s in Europe.
1: Now, now that's something really interesting there, because uh, witchcraft and paganism, if you will, uh, it predates all other religions in the sense of being all over the world. Mm-hmm. It, it has always been there in one form or another, the... Well, the
2: Polytheistic so this is, this is, ways and whatever. You know, the word witchcraft is, is a bad word to use. I don't like that word in this in this context because I'm not doing witchcraft. We're talking about a spiritual path. We're not talking about right. witchcraft. Right. You know? So in the in the in the show itself, I talk about what that is. How what they were called, witche or witcha or witcha. This was people who. These were people who were wise ones. They were midwives and they were healers, herbalists. They were people who taught people to meditate. They did divination, they spoke to the gods through the arms, like I said, channel. They threw down shells, they used cards, they read palms. This was a form of psychology, psychiatry that they used to to help people through tragedies and problems. And by the way, priests and rabbis and imams have adopted all that. That's become their their thing. You can go to a priest for counseling or to a rabbi for counseling, but people used to go to the the wise woman or the wise man of of the tribe, to ask them to do these things. And people have these talents. These are talents that were fostered from birth. When people noticed that somebody had a, a certain talent for it, maybe healing or herbalism or meditation or were great hunters or were great, you know, um, speakers, all these kinds of things, motivators, things that we pay people now, like life coaches or would we be considered in the past a witch of some sort. That's people really guide others. They are shaman. We are shaman. So The idea of what a witch is, including things like stupid Sabrina on television right now (laughs) and Satan rolling around and the Dark Lord and all this bullshit, has absolutely nothing to do with the ancient religion. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about witchcraft. I'm going to try to tell people, look, you think you know what a witch is? Here's what a witch is. I am a priestess. I am a shaman. And here's how this happened. And that's the
1: story. That's it's amazing. Story. And and you're you're doing this uh, unconventionally. As much as you're in, in a conventional space, if you will, you have uh, different kinds of instrumentation. You have so many different genres of musicians that are with you that this has become wow. a, a, a universal sort of piece. Well,
2: I'm, I only have three musicians, so I don't have so many musicians. Oh, please. <laughs> three? That's plenty. It's not so plenty, but I wish I had much more money and much more um, capital to use to create more of what I want to create. But at the moment, this is what I have. So I have a pianist who works mostly in cabaret, but is also a composer herself, and is a very spiritual person herself. She is very deeply involved in yoga and all sorts of of, uh, Eastern philosophy and religious studies and spiritual studies. And I have a harpist who is a classically trained harpist who is also a pagan. He is not... Well, he wouldn't call himself a witch. He doesn't feel comfortable with that word, but he is a pagan. He's what's called an He is dedicated to the goddess Isis. And I have a rock and roll super Catholic Italian guy from Brooklyn on the drum. So it's a little different than normal stuff, you know. But uh, this drummer has actually sat and walked and thought about pagan movement and drumming, and he's, he's really explored it, and so he's not a closed-minded person. He's also extremely spiritual, and his, religion, his religious path happens to be Catholic, and he feels comfortable with almost any other religious path anyway.
1: So, so the, the thing that weaves you all together, because we're talking about the diversity of classical versus musical theater and cabaret versus rock, is that you're all spiritual people.
2: Pretty much, I would think, I think that most people who stand on the stage, if, if they're good at it, are somewhat spiritual. They are plugged into something that's beyond themselves. And that's what we're doing when we're up on the stage. I always go on, you know, I teach stuff, and so I always go on with my students and say, you are here to enter the temple. This is what the Greeks created. This was a place where they reenacted the myths that, of the gods and goddesses that they revered. So when you get on the stage and doing the same, you're actually bringing in energy from someplace else and and translating it through yourself and giving it back to the audience. So we all do that.
1: So I'm going to grab that comment right there. You teach, and I know you teach the PATH method, which is performing arts training holistically. Uh, What is the PATH method, which you created, which is your own method of theater? How do you, what is Uh, the PATH method?
2: Theatrical training, not there, but it's a, oh, I started as a voice teacher and as I was, uh, and I also study of the study voice for like 70 million years, you know, since pre, you know, since I was a child. So uh, I slowly learned myself how to integrate, uh, the things that I do. They're not necessarily normally integrated into voice teaching, like working with sound and music healing, using things like tuning forks to center the mind, center the body, uh, working with aromatherapy, working with herbalism. If need be, you know, for healing and opening for, with box flower remedies. Um, with, uh, I also use, uh, sometimes I'll read an astrological chart for somebody to help them get through blockages, looking at their transits, or I will actually read tarot cards for my students if they want that. And more things, I do Reiki on the throat or in the body. I do massage on the head, throat, neck, because I am, I have a license to do such things. So I use all of those things in, integrated in typical, almost normal, bel canto, Italian type singing technique. So. Do you find
1: that it helps? I know that sounds funny to turn to a teacher and say, does your method help? But do you find there's there's an enhancement, a difference in, in looking at their chart, in talking to them about the their spiritual aspect in terms of singing? Do you find that helps?
2: Sometimes. Uh, there are people in my studio who refuse They're very science-based minded, you know, so science-minded and they won't touch it. So it would not help them at all. And it's not there. I'm not there to shove it down anybody's throat. Right. But when I have people that do want it, it does help them a great deal. Not necessarily saying, you know, oh, here's your astrological chart, but it's how, how am I using my voice in, in coordination with why I'm here on this planet? Why am I a singer as well as a performer? And what's in my chart that shows me that? And how do I use that chart to develop my sense as a performer? Not necessarily my voice, not that specific or could be. That's, that's one of the things. And it does help people if they have a blockage in their actual personal life that's stopping them from, from studying as much as they'd like to or working as much as they'd like to on their voice or in their career. What's in the way of, what's stopping me? That sometimes is one of the questions I get from people. And yeah. how to overcome that, you know.
1: So so to be an artist is not just uh, one tiny thing it, it it literally encompasses one's whole being you know well, I guess so. well.
2: Well, some people some i guess so oh, you know i guess that's true not everybody would agree with that i think that uh, that's, that sounds like woo woo to me and i don't like that kind of thinking because i am also extremely scientifically minded And my techniques in voice teaching are based on a lot of science as well. I studied not only just Bel Canto, but I studied the Stanley method of voice production, which is all based on science. So I I like to have an integration of both sides of things. So it is about vocal technique, using the body, using the actual vocal cords, how they work, how you use your palate, how you use your tongue, how you whatever. Using the mind, the body, and the spirit. You have to have all those things involved to be a good singer slash performer. I don't really know how to be a good painter. I'm not one, so I can't call myself an artist in that vein. Or if they use that, I don't know. Perhaps they do.
1: Now, now you've had... You, we're talking now... Let's go back to you for a moment. You have had many obstacles in your life that have, for lack of better term, could have stopped you cold. You've had... You've had uh, uh, as, we, as we watch your show, we will learn that, that there were people that were not supportive of you in the good old days. Uh, you've had physical issues... Uh, um, so I ask you the question I've been asking this all day. So, and your answer, I'm really dying to hear. Why do you do it? Why? What fuels you? What keeps you doing
2: this? Well, uh. That's a good question. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure I want to continue to do this because I am tired and I am a little bit exhausted doing this kind of work. Um, I feel like it's constantly a climb up a ladder. Almost every time I start working this way, and it feels mm, like it's almost the end of a path for me. I'm going to finish this series and then I may just quit performing because it's a little bit too much for me.
1: Wow! So, so we're looking at, at uh, we're looking at, at you putting together the. Uh, your musical history, if you will, as as uh, closing a chapter.
2: Well, you know, it, it's very frustrating. It's like uh, there's not a lot of money in this stuff, and Duh. it's a very frustrating thing, right? And as we get older on this path, I like to look at people that are older than me about 20 years. Now I'm getting old enough, so that is getting to be odd. All right? I don't always see them there. They're not always there. And when I look at older performers who have just kept going on this path that I'm on, which is in small venues and writing your own original pieces and self-producing and your, you know small productions of, of CDs or whatever they get to do, it's quite exhausting, and I see them quite debilitated. And I'm not so sure I want to go down that road.
1: Wow, what would you do uh, instead? What would be what would be the next chapter? What would be the next act?
2: Well, one of the things that I said, I wouldn't stop voice teaching because I like to do that. I actually do enjoy most of the time when I have have students that really want to learn. That's that's a lovely, lovely thing. So I wouldn't put that work down. But what I I like to do instead is to travel. I have not really, I've seen, I think, 35 of the 50 states. So that was good. I've never never been out of the country, and that's a very important thing to me. It's going to be a choice between producing a show on your own or seeing the world. And maybe if I did that, I would have more interest in producing something different. You know, maybe there would be something else. But also, I would like to write. Because as in the in the process of doing these shows, I feel like I have stories, not only my own stories, but stories of all the people I've met and all the places I've been. Uh, you'll like to call me a probe, and I have been so most of my life. It's if somebody says to me, hey, don't do that, I'm going to do it. So I'm going to check out <laughs> why I shouldn't do it. And I'll see, I'll go do it and try it and see if I hate it or not. And in the process of doing that, I have learned a lot of different things, met a lot of different people. Um, a long, long time ago, I saw a show called uh, Blown Sideways Through Life. And it was about this woman who had about 60 jobs. I've had about 300 different jobs. And I've had been in so many different places that I feel like now I want to write. I want to write the stories I've lived. I want to write uh, in instructional books on, on the path method, um, also on herbalism used in singing or used in performing, these things that I've learned along the, or the, or the walk of being a performer and also working backstage in the theater, watching what people have done to get through, you know, eight shows a week. So seeing what that, but, you know, those kinds of things, those kinds of stories, that kind of interest. So that to me is, it feels a little more powerful, a little more important than singing for 30 people.
1: Understood. Understood. Um, you, you also have another expression, which I love, where you say your tanks
2: are empty. Right. I, uh, yes. And I think that happens to every performer. after for a sure. while. I've been doing this. I've been performing pretty steadily now for three years, almost all the time. So it gets tiring. You, you feel like you're slamming into a wall all the time and sliding down because it's like another show, another place to run. And it's hard to keep running and not really make a living at it. You know, so... I don't know if the fire is out in me, but I think it needs to be redirected, I think. And I think that's, you know, if we're talking about what I'm saying on the stage, in this particular show, there's one particular song that talks about being the maiden, the mother, and the crone. And the maiden is this young, beautiful thing that's, you know, the earth unplowed and before seeds hit the floor, the ground before anything grows. That's the maiden phase of of, of, of uh, the adult femalehood. And then we go into the mother phase, which is a very creative phase. It's when you make babies, obviously, or you raise them. And also the ground being full and fertile and, 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 and growing and pushing forward. And then there's the phase they call the crone, which is where I am in life, which is the wise woman who withholds holds her own wisdom and shares it. So I'm in a place where I'm changing over, I think, to crewhood, if we're going to talk, you know, paganism and witchcraft, right. and where I am now uh, a mentor and a teacher, not just uh, you know, a, a fertile creative force full of fire. I am more of a slow fire where you come to me, I am the hermit, the hermitess. You come to my cave, I give you information. Not everybody's going to come to my cave in Bay So I feel like <laughs> if I write things, it's like they've come to my cave. cave, And if they find it, they find it. And if they don't, they don't. And maybe I can touch more people that way than I can, standing on a stage for 30 people to hear. And really like the shows, I find that, thank God, people are really liking my work, and I'm very proud of it. And I'm proud of my voice and where it's gone. Very, very proud. And very, very happy to keep singing, and I'm blessed to keep singing. I am. Uh, but I'm not so sure that's the path forever, as many of us would say. Uh, you know, all, a lot of acting uh, performers would feel the same way.
1: Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I think uh, you're you, what you're basically saying is you want to find a new way to share what you know. Right uh, up until a certain point, I know when we met, uh, uh, we we jumped into Shakespeare and we did mm-hmm. uh, we did a third of Shakespeare's canon in the time it takes mm-hmm. people to to buy a shirt.
2: Right, and uh, before that, I was doing opera. So right. I dropped that and went to Shakespeare. So I think that we're allowed to transition from one thing to another in life. I don't think we have to stay on one path.
1: It's, it's really interesting. Yes, you, you, you educated the world with your operatic voice. Then you educated the world with your classical voice. Uh, and you kept on going. You, you kept on morphing. So it's really not like you want to stop so much, but now the next chapter is maybe it's time to, to write down everything and so that, that history... Uh, can understand what you went through and the importance of it.
2: Well, I don't think I educated anybody doing anything. I think I educated myself so, so that yeah. I could be creative and so that I could use my gifts, which I always thought that I had to do. But I feel like if you're born with gifts, you have to use them. I'm not saying I'm not going to sing. I'm saying I don't know if I want to, you know, continue to schlep harps for <laughs> <laughs> Times Square. Not, I'm not so sure I want to do that anymore. I'm not so sure I want to drag props in a suitcase on the end train. I'm not so sure I want to have to change in a wet bathroom that a drunk guy just threw up in because I have to get on stage in a place that doesn't even have a glass of water for me so I can sing. I'm not so sure I want to do that, you see. I think that's the thing. If maybe I was, you know, Beyonce, I wouldn't want to quit because why would she want to quit? She's got it all handed to her. She, She got on the lucky train. I got on the worker schlep and sterobiter train. That's where I am. I'm on the worker bee train. I'm not a queen, you know. So it's a little different. You know, stardom is one thing. When you're a star, people, you know, they give you, you actually they send people, uh, when you're a star, you send a list ahead. Your manager sends a list. These are the things that they must have in their dressing room. And it's crazy stuff like orange crush and, and, and you know, peanuts. And, and it's there for them. You know, me, I don't even have a dressing room. I don't have a chair half the time to come to sing in to, to to prepare. I have no place to warm up. I have no place. Sometimes I'm standing shivering outside of a club until they open the door, and I'm a little I'm a little too old for that. I feel like it's that that's that's the life of a 20 year old or a 30 year old, not a almost six, 60 year old woman. I feel like that's a different time in life when you can you have that much. Need and drive to do that work, and I was that girl, and I did do that work, and I am very proud of it, and I did it with my child on my back. But at this point, you know, I feel like, well, why? Well, what am I doing? You know, it, really, let me go to a nice place and write my books, and drink tea, and be grandma, because I think it's time.
1: Uh, it's it's interesting that you say that because uh, we have watched so many documentaries uh, to hear uh, to hear these horror stories from from everyone from Jerry Seinfeld to, to the most unknown comedian and, and actors uh, talking about how they weren't paid and they, they weren't in this show and whatever else. Um, and they never, they're never bold and honest enough to simply say, okay, well, then I had to change something. You know, Jerry Seinfeld never said, uh, you know, I've had enough of doing stand-up. I'm now going to do the cushy life and get this sitcom going until I'm a billionaire. Jerry
2: a billionaire, right? That's what he is. Right. He he fell into that lucky place where he gets to be a queen bee, like I was talking about Beyonce. You know, it's like, that's a place you get to where now you don't ever have to relax. You don't have to do, because you're working only a small percentage of the time. You're only responsible for your own performances, which is a lot of responsibility for sure, especially when you're somebody that famous you have to keep up a level well, but sure. you're not also designing the show and schlepping props and you know uh, setting up the venue and hiring people and paying people and getting costumes in and you know I produce every single show I've ever done except the ones I was cast in right So, right. Yeah, but every show I've done since I know you, since I'm 38 years old which is now coming to 20 years of that work is been self-produced and on, you know, on my back. And it's
1: uh, so the, uh George Morfogan, who is a, a, a brilliant classical actor, he is known for being a convict in a, an HBO series called Oz. Right. Uh, which is a very difficult series to watch. It was a very, very powerful series. And he was interviewed years later when he was doing something at the Pearl Theater. And, and they said, well, what's the difference? You know, how has being in Oz... Uh, helped you and he had one line he just said it cured the invisibility
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: and he,
1: he was an actor who's who's done amazing work with amazing performers on stage but it just yeah, took it's him invisible
2: again because i you know when's the last time we've seen him he's invisible again and that's also the life of a not famous actor that's also the life of a not famous performer right you're always constantly invisible again you have to start again. Even if you're a performer on Broadway, saying you or you're in the film in films and or even a television show, as soon as that ends, you have to start over again.
1: The, the, in in the most recent documentary that Jerry Seinfeld did, and it was rather ironic, he tried to redo his his stand up career uh, by going to all these little clubs all over the country. The difference right. was he rented a private jet
0: right.
1: to get there, right. so he could do two right. and three a night across the country.
2: Yeah, and he drove his family was there backstage and then they went back in the jet and they went to another city or some you know, it's like and of course you know his food was provided for him, his clothing was clean for him, his room his room was clean for him, and he had nothing to do except perfect his art. Right? So yeah, we've had people in the past that have done that, that's all they did was perfect their art, and a lot of times, like Mozart, they died at like thirty. Yeah. <laughs> because again, uh, yeah. even if even Mozart, who now is famous, was certainly not then, and nobody cared to help him. Nobody he had to do it all by himself, and he just got exhausted. You know, he couldn't. He got so exhausted, he got sick. You can't continue to to produce. You can't continue to be a channel for the energy that you have to bring forth, and not have some sort of help. And that's it. And we're very. It's interesting to be a singular artist. I've worked with you in companies for a long time, and have had other people involved, and so somebody could pick up the harp, not just me. But when you're doing it by yourself, there's nobody there. It's I, just you.
1: I completely get it. You don't have to.
2: In a way, it's good because there is no bullshit. There is nobody to argue with, or complain about, or worry about. It's just yourself and your own, you know, in- integrity that you have to deal with. But it's very tiring. Very, very tiring.
1: It. Of course, it is. I, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to dispel uh, uh, another another thing, if you will. I'll be blunt now on my own podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. You and I have worked together now well over twenty years. Mm-hmm. and everybody thinks I'm the brains
2: mm-hmm.
1: because I scream the loudest. Well, that's mm-hmm. not the case. Well, uh, you're not dumb. You know this. Oh, I know I'm not dumb. Oh my gosh, no. But, but you are my inspiration. Oh, you, you have always been my inspiration. I am too arrogant and narcissistic to, to say it as often as I should, but mm-hmm. you have been the probe. You <laughs> have been the first one to do things. You have been the one to say, let's try it. Let's do it. You have been you have been humble enough to whisper in my ear and say that sucks, fix it when no one else will because they're on what minuscule payroll we gave to them. You are now you are the artistic director now of Genesis Repertory and you should you should stay there because that is you are in charge. You um when you speak, the world needs to listen because well, of anyone I know. You are, you are immensely. <laughs> you are immensely talented. You are immensely intelligent, well,
2: and you I know what you're doing. It. Thank you. And you know, we were talking about this earlier in the day. You know, uh, the fact that. It's a really weird thing. You know, we've produced, uh, I also produce with my ex-husband as well. And this has been something I've always done. I always produce with people, not just my husbands, but, or lovers, or, but mostly just friends. That's always been the way I've worked since I'm a child, a small child. It's like, let's get together and put on a show, like, you know, Judy Gallagher. That's how I've always been, you know. So I don't want to work in a world that I can't collaborate with people I deeply care about. Right. I don't want that. I think that I want to be, I'm always interested in, even if I was a painter, even if I was a singular or a or primary artist, I would want to still collaborate in some way with other people because I think you need that, you know. So you and I have done that and because you've been with me now for over 20 years, since 1998, I think it is, yep. that we've been working together and producing things and and, and, and and you know spewing ideas around our bedroom for all this time about people and ideas and shows and whatever, you know, and we still will, and we constantly will. The, the disadvantage of that is, you know, people think a lot of things. We've had a great deal of trouble through the time that we've been working together with people, and my ex-husband also did not want to cast me in his shows because he, or have me direct them, because people said it was nepotism and that if he's, if he's a guy who's written a play and he's the head of a company, he can't cast his wife. But you went ahead and cast me, and that caused us a lot of trouble. So uh, we have had a lot of issues with people saying, you know, you can't, you know, Mary's not that good. And you know, Jay's just doing this because her husband. And it still may be occurring when people are listening to this podcast. Even if they do, they may not even get this far in the podcast because they're going to go, who the hell wants to hear this married couple It's going to blow smoke up her ass? And it's going to sound like she wants to sell her fucking show and we're not going to listen. And you know that that's true. You know, you know that that's true. It is a very difficult thing. You do run a publicity firm, and I do actually work with you a little bit in that. And that is, I am so grateful for that because that gets this stuff out there way more than I could on my own. Because if you try doing that on your own, people don't even listen to you. They will not listen. They're like, "Oh, that's you know self-aggrandizement. That's selfishness. You're a narcissist." I can't look at you.
0: The and vanity you play, is, of course. Right,
2: this is vanity, you know. And here you are helping my vanity. Oh, she must be an awful singer because Jay has to sell her. That's what they think. And fuck you if you are out there. I don't care. <laughs> so you know, I don't care. I really don't. So that's what people think. Maybe I should do stand up. I think that's my next game. Huh? I should do stand up and be insult, insult everybody. So, I,
1: I would, I would kill to see your stand up
2: routine. Just tell the truth, because this is what it is, you know. But meanwhile, and we were talking about this other day, there's tons, and I know this in the professional theater, of couples who work together, just like we do, both gay and straight, working together, one helping the other up the next rung of the ladder. Of course. This is a common thing, you know, to do. But of course, everybody has to say, oh, oy, look at does he's selling his wife. It yeah. must be awful. Yeah.
1: It, it goes all over the place. You, you hear that all over the place. Any power couple, if you will, yeah. they decide yeah. which one. And, well, and the, the one thing I could... The,
2: Clintons, the poor Clintons. I mean, that's oh the poor Clintons. Oh, my gosh. I wish I was the poor Clintons. Yeah, let me but tell you. Know, you there it is. Hillary can't ever get out of the shadow of being Bill Clinton's
1: wife. The, the irony is... Uh, uh, now in, in this era it's no longer just the the guy. They 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 find within the couple the one person who they think is the the, the moneymaker, the power broker, the whatever. Yeah. And that's yeah. the one in charge. And and right. invariably they're they're usually wrong in one form or another.
2: No, because a lot of the times, you know, we talk about London Fontaine, there's still a freaking theater named after this couple. That's right. Up in the middle of Manhattan. There was a reason for that. They and if you read about them, they really did help each other a tremendous amount. They were not the, who they were without the other. Completely you know? The and same can be said for Dwayne Hume, Dwayne.
1: Hume Cronin and Jessica Santy. Well,
2: and there's so many of those couples you can look at through the history of the theater,
1: of course. Paul Newman, Joanne of Woodward, they're, they're, yeah. uh, dozens, dozens of, of couples. Right, that, and and, and know I know so not.
2: many singers that have wives or husbands that are super supportive of them, that you know work very hard for them and, and help their careers to go forward also, whether or not they're, they're singers or performers or uh, whatever themselves. Right, People working tandem. This is life. We're supposed to be in a tribe. We're not supposed to be alone. Am I supposed to make it big in the world? Like, well, even Beyonce has what's his name, her husband, yeah, uh, helping her out, you know, with her image and her recordings and everything else. So, but that doesn't. But well, she was famous before he came along, so she, that doesn't count.
1: Right. So, uh, okay.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that doesn't count. But although they say things about him, is it Jay Z. Who's she married to? I think Jay Z. Uh, that, that he's 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 the one that's up in her tail, you know, because he needs to take from her because he's he's not good enough. Right. Well, they, no
1: they they look who's making the million, and that's that's the one they're going to gravitate towards.
2: Meanwhile, it's she's silly. making more millions since she's with him.
1: Of course, of course. <laughs> well, they don't understand that uh, uh, that that magical spell, if you will.
2: You know. It's crazy stuff, and I'm, you know, that's another, you know, it's hard to overcome that, because why should I say, hey, Jay, you run publicity, don't do my publicity? Am I like, crazy? Absurd. And, and if anybody out there doesn't think I pay for it, believe me, I pay for it. Anyway, <laughs> more than anybody else who pays Jay, I pay more. You just
1: have to live with me, and so that's a really yeah, more, terrible thing.
2: I'm like, just, just live with you. No, I wish it was... Yes. <laughs> There's a whole thing that goes with that that no one will ever know until I write the book about that. That's what I'll do. There you go. So. Please,
1: please wait for me to be dead before you write that book. Thank you. Uh, Florence Ziegfeld, a, a, a personal idol of mine. What a surprise! Uh, he he had hired Bert Williams, who was an African American uh, vaudeville comic, and he did it in a time when African Americans were not allowed to do shows where Caucasians were in. Uh, he could just do his minstrel shows and whatever else. And one day, when he was part of the Follies, uh, a major group of performers, all white, said uh, they uh, they they don't want to go on, and they threatened to leave the show if he if he doesn't fire Bert Williams. And and Ziegfeld, without without missing a beat, without taking an extra breath, just said, "Please go. The only one that is not replaceable is Bert Williams."
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So so yeah, I say that to you. On oh, that sense, you're 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 my idol. Uh, uh, when when I there's so many times I will say, okay, what will Mary do? And and that's and that's usually the right answer.
2: Well, you know, this is a partnership, and I think that I'm proud of it. I'm happy with it. I mean, we 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 have issues, we have problems, we cause of it in our lives. But that and my son certainly takes a lot of umbrage with all the work we do together. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and he's been thrown in it, too. Um, you know, when he, when he had no choice, he was also in shows and run around with us. But, you know, it is a partnership, and this is how it's supposed to work. When people run businesses together, nobody says any of this stuff. If, I'm, if you were a lawyer and I helped you on your law business or vice versa, it would be fine. If you did publicity for my law office or as a doctor or whatever, you name it, a store I owned, they wouldn't be saying much about it. They'd be like, oh, well, that makes sense. He does publicity. He, he shouldn't help his wife of or vice versa. But when it comes to this, it's this old-fashioned thought of like, oh, you know, the woman, he's got her claws and the great man who's going to take her and she's going to do all these things to keep him and he's going to make her famous, you know?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How's that coming? Uh, I don't think I'm so famous. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> Actually, so I was hoping
1: for a different answer than that. I kind of, I kind of think I help on that level.
2: But. Well, no, you help me. People, yeah. Obviously, I said that before. People, uh, you're doing so much more than I could do because you can concentrate on that. It's not the thing, you know, when I have to sit and learn 13, 14, 15 songs and write a play and 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 hire musicians and all those things I mentioned before. I and and, and we go through this all the time. We talk about your cl- other clients and how they always say to you, "I don't have time. I can't do the publicity." Right. You know. And they don't think about... Imagine if I did a podcast by myself. Wouldn't that be funny? Well, right. Let's talk about why I did my
0: show.
1: Hi, right, let's talk about me. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Plus, you have all these wonderful <laughs> talents with graphic arts, with all this information that you know from your other previous work, from what you teach, from your master's degree. You're a worthy, worthy publicist, publicist, and people should use you, and that's not just a fake commercial. They should. So it helps me, and it helps me get... It also helps me have room. I think that makes sense to, 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 to pursue... My thing, you know, to say, okay, I feel like. Also, you're helping me, you're helping me by writing and directing with me, so I, I'm not doing that alone either. So this show is not just my show, and you're not. I don't want you pretending that it is because it's not. You certainly have done the publicity, and you certainly have dealt with my hysteria about it, and you certainly have dealt with the writing a lot, and we're going to even do more of that before the show starts on on Saturday. More writing to do, more work Indeed. to do with Jack so and you're there. I don't think people understand that, like when we engage like this as a couple or when other couples do or when other you know, theater companies do, how it becomes a mission and how everybody has to hunker down. It's almost like, you know, the tribe trekking through the desert, you know, with the camels getting to the next oasis. That's exactly what it feels like when you're doing a show, even if the show is one hour long and it only is one night. It's still the same.
1: It's part of it's the tribe. This, it's part of the it's mission. The
2: sting, it's traveling, the survival. It feels almost like survival, you know, because it kind of is. Because you're surviving as an artist, you're surviving as a performer, you're surviving as a theater company. You have to survive. That's what it feels like. It is really feeling like life and death sometimes. Of course, of course, <laughs> and
1: and I hear it from so many of my clients, and I, I even hear it from you and and so many. It's just, you know, you don't want to do it alone. If there's just someone else there who says, okay, let's let's get the show going.
2: It's well, it's, it's, it's worth a million. Well, you know what? You know, performance art is usually collaborative art. You know, you do have people that do perform on their own. You know, you'll see a busker out on the street with his guitar, you know, and a, and a can of for, for his money. That's a different situation. Or composers can work on their own. But eventually, eventually, you're going to need somebody else. Of course. You can't just do it alone all the time. You can't. You can't, not in a, not in a performing, I, I even wonder if you can't, I mean, I, have, I have very good friends who are visual, beautiful visual artists, and even they need an opinion. Even they need somebody to put their stuff in the gallery. Of they, course. They need a publicist to make pe- people come and see their stuff. Of so course. We're not, we're not alone in this, you know.
1: No, no, and, and, and I'm, I'm happy to say I'm not alone, and I'm glad I'm, I'm making it so that you are not alone.
2: Thank you very much.
1: And you are not going to be alone Saturday night at Pangea. Well, I better not be. I'll fire you. God! (laughs) Thank you. She'll fire me. Great, I'll sleep in the kitchen. But anyway, (laughs) uh, uh, Saturday night at 9.30 at Pangea. What's Pangea's address? I don't know.
2: It's on 12th Street? And second Avenue, twelve. And right, on second Avenue. right. And it's uh the show starts at nine thirty. Uh you can go in earlier if you like and get a delicious I mean, really seriously, not really. We ate there for a Sydney Buyer show. It was it, the food is really fantastic and it's good, mostly Italian fare. Um and there are vegan options, vegetarian options for people who are like me that don't want to eat meat and stuff, and there's also other things and fantastic drinks, they're a heavy pour. They have good wine list. They have very good dessert. I mean really good dessert. So that's I'm not even just selling Pangea, but Pangea deserves to be sold. It's a wonderful place and the owners make the place very comfortable, very artistic, it's very nice place to go to and enjoy yourself. They understand so be, they understand yeah.
1: their, their ad, they understand their address because they're in the East Village and, and so there's a cutting edge feel to them. As much as everything right. is sumptuous right. and, and, and glamorous, if you will, but it's it's a cutting edge feel. Well, that's what he wants.
2: Well, we can talk about Stephen for five seconds. Stephen wants that. One of the owners of Angia. He wants cutting edge, interesting art. He wants new original things. He doesn't want tried and trueness. And he'll, he'll put it up, but he likes that interesting, edgy, you know, almost new breakthrough kind of stuff. And he won't just put anybody on that stage. He's very particular about who he puts in there. So That is true. That's that's a nice thing too. Most of them are not everybody is. I know he is, and certainly Sydney is. up at don't tell Mama as oh, well. Don't. But yeah, they. they, they but Stephen has a specific aim, and I hope I'm going to live up to it. I, I don't know if he knows exactly what the show is about. He trusts me, so let's.
1: <laughs> He's saying yes far too often, so I think he knows. He <laughs> he probably emulates what Sydney does. Sydney has these wonderful interviews with everyone that comes into Don't Tell Mama, yeah, and yeah. and I just spoke to sumitsuki and she basically said that. Uh, the reason he does this is because it's not about you know seeing them for one night. He may know them for thirty years after That's that, right. so he That's wants right. to get to know them. And That's I think right. Stephen has that same philosophy. He's not going to be disappointed because here is a show about you discovering your spiritual path, utilizing songs. Everyone from Lorena McKenna to Sting uh, in the nineties. You are doing it with Richard Spendio, who is a classical harpist. John Donello, who, aside from appearing on the Deuce, uh, is is also a rock drummer. And, yep. and just to make the souffle that much sweeter, you have Tracy Stark, a, a, a multi-MAC award-winning 11 pianist. 11-time
2: winner. 11-time Mac winner. Yikes.
1: 11 times. How gorgeous. And leading that whole pack is you. And ah. and, and <laughs> okay. we, we don't need spotlights because you are just going to shine, shine, shine.
2: Well, I hope people will come. If you heard this, you know, I'm not quitting tonight. So if you want to convince me to stay on the stage, come to my show.
1: <laughs> oh, you took my clever line. I was going to say, <laughs> instead of this being a, a retirement party, let's make this a return oh, or something. Well, I'll
2: just say this. I'll say this. If anybody ever listens to this, uh, you know, maybe even after I'm dead positively, you know, she's in the grave, let's listen to the podcast. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> like, maybe my son one day over some bourbon said, let's listen to mom. Anyway, so, you know, this is not I want to finish my series. I have a series of, of shows I want to do, and I'm saying. I want to do this one, and then I have one that I want to do about my experiences working backstage in Broadway for like almost ten years, and then other things that I explored, which are of a very dark nature, um, and other things around that that idea. So there's like two or three, maybe more shows and diaries that I've used, and maybe one day I'm going to be saying, "Oh, let's do it. Let's do a show about when I wanted to quit singing and I hated everything for a while." You know this <laughs> Be possible, or my transition period into Crohn's, or being an older woman, or what that feels like to be, you know, a uh, sexually a cipher and and un, un, and being uninteresting to most of the world, but yet have this inner life that's quite quite uh, potent and, and poignant. So maybe that's the next thing I I work on. But there's a series of of, of things I want to do called The Lady in Such and Such, and Granny's Bloomers is not going anywhere. I have to just finish this, and then I will go back. I'm trying to mix up um, a couple of recordings based on our live performances, using our live performances. And then I want to try to see if I can take that a little bit on tour to gin joints and and wild places that want a little filth and fun and jokes and, and a look back at the vintage perspective on sex and drugs and rock and roll. So that's what I'm planning to do next. So uh, it doesn't say, It don't mean I'm going to quit everything. It's just a matter of what, it has to be important and it has to be pointed. It can't just be, it has to be really laser focused decision. What is the next project? How long will it take if the finest musicians get the best place to perform it? And I am definitely doing that. Unless I die first.
1: You heard it here, folks. She's retiring and only has 75 more projects to do
2: before she does that. I said I'm tired. Tired? Is retiring retired in retired? Yes, are, are she's she's
1: so, ti- she's so tired. She's so tired meaning
2: of the word Wait. retired. I am tired again. Retired. Yes,
1: she is tired again, and so to 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 make herself feel better, I, you know, she has I'll three like more projects.
2: Frank and no, I mean, Frank Sinatra, Frank Sinatra retired how many times? Four times, three times. Oh, he could possibly go back on the stage, and then he put another fucking album out. And everybody wants to buy it. Well, then He's there you go. He's gonna die in five minutes. Or he, he pretended he had a. Uh, uh, the uh, vocal notes. he's going to lose his voice. Oh, we to buy his records now. You know, make a few more million. <laughs>
1: well, then, <laughs> may you retire as much as Frank Sinatra did. Yeah,
2: let's make some millions,
1: Reverend Mary. <laughs> thank you so much for 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 being the bluntest, most powerful broadcast on this podcast.
2: Well, I am a broad beam through <laughs>
1: <laughs> That is one of my favorite quotes from one of your uh, reviews. I love thank that.
2: You, Robert Vian- I am a broad, beamed brunette with a big mouth. That's right. That works Better for me. Rich ass, I am. That all works right. for me.
1: And keep on screaming.
2: All right, get off my phone.
1: All right. I'll talk Bye. to you soon. Ciao. Mary Macari has always been my hero. My inspiration, if you will. And if all I can do to show my love and respect for her is to shout her brilliance to the world, then I will continue shouting and shouting and shouting and well come to see her show Saturday night and you'll see what I mean and you too will be shouting and shouting and shouting okay Halloween is next week so in the passion pit and its macabre media section called in the dark we will join forces to present a few scare makers on screen and on stage all right Let's give Reverend Mary a cabaret send off also, but let's make it a little bit like her, a little bit more cutting edge.
0: Tell us all about it, Alan. Yeah. Welcome, bienvenue, welcome. Fremda, étranger, stranger. enchanté. Happy to see you. Bleib, rest, stay. Willkommen, bienvenue, welcome, im cabaret, au oh cabaret du cabaret. Meine Damen und Herren, Mesdames et Messieurs, Ladies and Gentlemen. Guten Soir. Good evening. Wie geht's? Comment ça va? Do you feel good? Yeah, I bet you do. Ik finale la conferencia. Ja. Je suis votre compère. I am your host. Und sagen, welcome. Bienvenue. Welcome. In cabaret. Oh, cabaret. The cabaret. And now, presenting the cabaret. Girl. Squitzy and Helga Each and every one A virgin You don't believe me? Well don't take my word for it Go ahead Try Helga to keep them from taking off all of their clothing. So don't go away. Who knows? Tonight we may lose the banner.